Welcome to the podcast of Grace Community Bible Church. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged, and inspired by this message. For other sermons or more information, visit us at gracebiblechurch.org.au. As we've been going through Genesis, we know in the early chapters as the serpent deceived Adam and Eve, and sin came into this world. God promised that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. And he would bring about his redemptive plan and he would have that world that would be filled with his glory. And we've seen from chapter 12 onwards how that plan began to take shape as God focused on a man named Abraham. And over the past few months, we've traced the life of Abraham and how God has built up this man and has used him mightily for his purposes. And what we see is that God's purposes and God's plan is moving forward. And particularly in the last three chapters, if, you, if you've been with us for the last three chapters, we saw you know, two chapters ago of how Sarah died. And then we saw last week of how God, through that servant of Isaac, through, his, through ordinary means, providentially brought about a wife for Isaac, the promised seed, and how his plan is moving forward and how things are slowly moving from that previous generation to the next generation. And here now we come to the death of Abraham, really his his last days and the death of Abraham. And what we will see here is again that God is faithful to keep his promises to Abraham till his last day and even beyond. He's faithful to his promises to Abraham. He's faithful to his promises to his sons. And what we see is even though this great patriarch dies, God's plan of redemption is still going to move forward. And it is going to, and that promised line is going to keep moving forward. And I trust that as we look at this, we will be encouraged again, once again, to see, to be reminded of God's faithfulness, to be reminded of our frailty, and to be reminded of the great privilege that it is that we have as God's people to live for Him and to make much of Him. I've titled this morning's sermon as God's faithfulness to Abraham and his sons. And we'll look at verses 1 through 18 under three headings. We'll first look at God's faithfulness in the context of Abraham's other sons in verses 1 through 6. Then we'll look at God's faithfulness in the context of Abraham's death in verses 7 through 11. 
And then lastly, we'll look at God's faithfulness in the context of Ishmael's sons in verses 12 through 18. So firstly, God's faithfulness as it pertains to the as it pertains to Abraham's other sons. Now verse 1 says, Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. Now if you look down at verse 6, just look down very quickly, and it says there Keturah is mentioned as one of the concubines. And in fact, if you Turn uh, again later on in First Chronicles one thirty-two. Keturah is again mentioned as a concubine, and so the reason why Keturah is mentioned as a wife and a concubine is that in those days a concubine was considered as a wife, but a wife of secondary status compared to the primary wife. So in Abraham's case, his primary wife was Sarah. Now there's quite a bit of debate as to whether Abraham had Keturah as his concubine wife before or after Sarah's death. Those who take the view that Keturah was present while uh, Sarah was alive point to the fact that you know, when Abraham was 99 and was going to have Isaac, you know, he says he considered, Scripture says he considered his body as good as dead for rep- reproductive purposes. And so they argue that to have children after Sarah's death, which basically at that time, you know, Abraham is 137 years old, you know, it would not be possible for a man this old. It wouldn't even make sense. But I actually take the view that Keturah came into the scene after Sarah died. You see, after Sarah died, Abraham was alive for another 38 years. And and if you think about it, if all these children that are mentioned here in the following verses were present while Sarah was still alive... I mean, first of all, there's no mention of them before. And there's no mention of even Sarah having any issue with them. Like, he, like she had an issue with Ishmael, the other concubine son with Hagar. And I would say this, the, the fact that Abraham had more children to Keturah at a much later age, like beyond 100, year 137... It points to the incredible rejuvenation that God had brought about in Abraham's body. See, this re- yes, he, at 99, he was as good as dead for reproductive purposes. But God had brought a, a, a miraculous work of rejuvenation in his life. And so this wasn't a temporary thing just to have Isaac. It lasted for the rest of his lifetime such that he would have more children afterward. And so now we see in verses 2 through 4 that Abraham had another six sons and seven grandchildren and three great-grandchildren through Keturah. 
Let's just read that. She, referring to Keturah, bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Jokshan fathered Sheba and Dedan. And the sons of Dedan were Ashurim, Letushim, and Luimim. The sons of Midian were Ephah, Epheh, Hanok, Abida, and Eldaah. All these were the children of Keturah. Now interestingly, the, the name Keturah, it's related to the word that means perfume or fragrant smoke or spice. And it would probably point to the kind of vocation that she was involved in. And, it, and history would tell us, and even many scholars would tell us that these descendants from Keturah mentioned are associated with tribes in the Arabian Peninsula that were involved in the spice and incense trade. All of these sons that are mentioned of Keturah. Now Sheba and Dedan were regions, particularly in the ancient times, that were known for you know, trading of spices, where caravans would come and there would be major trading of spices. You know, if you remember, during the time of King Solomon, the queen of Sheba, she came from this Sheba. And remember, she came with spices and precious stones to come and see Solomon's kingdom and to, you know, when she heard of Solomon's great wisdom. But amongst the, the sons from Keturah, as far as Israel's history is concerned, is Midian, from where the Midianites come. In Genesis 37, we'll see that when Joseph is being sold as a slave, the terms Ishmaelites and Midianites are used almost interchangeably. And that's because most likely over a period of time, the Midianites and the Ishmaelites assimilated together as one people because they were half-brothers belonging to Father Abraham, and at some point they kind of assimilated into one people. And then we know in Exodus later, Moses, after he fled from Egypt, he went to Midian, and he gets married to a Midianite woman named Zipporah. And then by the time of the book of Judges, we come to understand that these Midianites become enemy nation to the people of Israel. And what the description of all these other sons born to Abraham from Keturah is showing the fulfillment of God's promise that Abraham would become a father of many nations. And so this is part of that promise coming to fruition. And while these were the physical children of Abraham, there was only one son of promise, the true heir of Abraham who would have a special place. And so look at what Abraham does in verses 5 and 6. Abraham gave all he had to Isaac. But to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts. 
And while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the east country. Now, I don't know if you caught in verse 16 where it says, but to the sons of his concubines, it says that he gave his gifts to his concubines, plural. And those concubines, I take that to mean that it's talking about Keturah and Hagar. And so Abraham provided for these sons of his concubines. You know, Abraham being a wealthy man, a very wealthy man, if you remember, even going to, uh, you know, sending his servant to Laban's family to find a bride for his son, very expensive gifts were given to Laban's family. So you can only imagine that these gifts that he gave to the sons of his concubines would have been more than plenty to keep them going given the extraordinary riches that Abraham would have had. So these sons would have been well taken care of. But then the text also says that while he gave all these gifts to his the sons of his concubines, Abraham sent them away from Isaac eastward to the east of the country while he gave all he had to Isaac. Now, if you've been with us from, say, the beginning of Genesis, we've seen that this movement eastward in the book of Genesis is a movement away from God and his promises. You know, Cain, after he killed Abel, moved eastward to the land of Nod. The builders of the Tower of Babel, remember, they they move eastward. And now these other sons of Abraham moved to the east, to the land of the east, away from God and away from God's promises. She said, but, you know, what's going on here? See, this is not Abraham showing favoritism to Isaac over other sons. It's really Abraham acting out in faith. See, Isaac is the only son of promise. The only seed of Abraham that would exclusively inherit the covenant promises of Abraham. And so Abraham understands that he has the responsibility now to protect Isaac's God-given birthright as the only true heir of God's covenant blessing. So he has that responsibility to protect Isaac's birthright that way. And so in order to protect Isaac's birthright as the only heir, he removes any threat to Isaac as the only heir. In order to prevent any sort of fighting for the land of Canaan. So Abraham sufficiently provides for his other sons, but he sends them away from the promised land and away from Isaac. And in this way, Isaac is... Protected as the only seed to inherit the land of Canaan. That inheritance was only for that promised seed line. So really what Abraham is doing is he's not showing favoritism here. 
No, he's acting in faith. He's trusting in what God has said regarding Isaac. And Abraham is taking steps to ensure that Isaac is protected and God's plan of redemption and blessing would continue through Isaac because that is what God has said. And it's the same reason why Abraham sent his servant last week we saw to find a wife for Isaac. Again, so that God's plan would continue through this promised seed, Isaac. And so it's Abraham's faith in the Lord that is causing him to protect Isaac and to keep him in the land while he provides for his other sons, but he sends them away from the land and away from Isaac. So what can we learn from this? You know, don't, don't show favoritism. Or, you know, make sure you write your will well before your deathbed so there's no confusion as to, you know, who gets what. I mean, there is some wisdom in that for sure. But I don't think that's the point of the text. What you see here is Abraham is zealous till his last day to ensure that the Lord's work would continue on as he had promised. So he's zealous about that. He's not thinking, you know, as he's coming to his final days, he's not thinking, okay, Lord, I've lived as a believer. I, I've followed you, but I don't really have to think about what's going to happen next. I, I don't have to think about the plan and purposes of the Lord, you know, beyond me. And after my time. No, Abraham, he wants to ensure that the Lord's plan and purposes will continue to the next generation and beyond, even after Abraham's time. And so what are some ways in which we can apply this? As believers today, to be involved in God's plan and purposes, even beyond ourselves as, as individuals. That we're not just looking at my Christian life and my walk with the Lord, but there is a greater concern for God's plan and purposes beyond ourselves and perhaps even beyond our time. Well, one way is to be involved in the Lord's work to, is to evangelize. You know, think of those in your family. Or, or those in your friend circles, you know, those who are unbelievers. You know, keep praying for them. Keep, keep representing Christ to them and showing His character to them. And as you get those opportunities, look intentionally for ways to share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. That's one way to, be, to look beyond yourself and to be involved in the Lord's work. Another way is to pour into others, even other believers. You know, to tell them about the Lord Jesus and to point them to His Word. So that what you know from His Word and what you know about the Lord, you are passing it on to others. Older men with the younger men. Older women with the younger women. 
and it can even be with peers, uh, you know, on the same level, but there is a desire to be about the Lord's work rather than just me, myself, and I, and just be idle. Still, another way is to reach out to the children. You know, for those of us who are those of us who have children, you know, as parents to teach them about the Lord and what He has done, to teach them about what, who the Lord Jesus is and what He has done, to teach them the Word of God, to give them a biblical lens to view this world and to really bring them up in the ways of the Lord. And for those amongst us who don't have children, let me encourage you as well, for those of you who don't have children, to still reach out to the children. You know, just start by engaging with the children. Start talking to them and, and, and just take an interest in them rather than just ignoring them as though they're not even people. And I guarantee you, as you engage with the children, you take an interest with them and you talk to them, they will be supremely encouraged. Then there's kids' Sunday school. Another area in which you can serve the children and, and share the gospel of Jesus Christ and God's word with these children. And I know some of you even intentionally pour out into these children outside of even the Sunday morning setting. And, and let me just say this. I am so, so very thankful for so many of you that intentionally pour out into these children and for those of you who pour out intentionally into one another for the sake of the Lord because it's really an evidence of your love for the Lord Jesus and it's an evidence for your zeal to be involved in his work that you're thinking outside of yourselves. You're thinking about God's purposes and plans on a much greater scale. That you're even thinking about God's purposes and plans beyond yourself and even beyond your time, even thinking about the next generation. So what you see here in these first six verses is Abraham is busy doing the Lord's work to make sure God's work is going to continue on. But even as he's doing that, we see God's hand of blessing. He's being more fruitful in his old age, having six more sons and many nations coming from him. And also, the seed of promise is being protected and God's plan is moving forward. So now we move from God's faithfulness as seen in the context of Abraham's sons to God's faithfulness in the context of Abraham's death. Verses 7 through 11. Verse 7 says, These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. 
So in other words, Abraham died at 175, at the age of 175. So if you were to calculate it, that would mean that he lived as a sojourner in the land of Canaan for 100 years. He lived as a believer in the land of Canaan as an alien for a hundred years. He walked with the Lord for a hundred years. He was indeed a friend of God as we've seen in the previous chapters. One who knew the Lord intimately. And now this great patriarch, this father of the faith has died. And to emphasize the significance of Abraham's life that has come to an end, the text really elaborates on Abraham's death. It doesn't just say Abraham died and moves on. Look at verse 8. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years and was gathered to his people. And what you see here again is God's faithfulness to keep his promise to Abraham. In Genesis 15, 15, God had told Abraham, As for you, Abraham, you shall go to your fathers in peace and you shall be buried in a good old age. And that's exactly what has happened. Abraham has lived up to 175 years. And so if you were to calculate, Isaac is now 75 years old. And later in the chapter, we will see that Isaac was 60 years old when he had Jacob and Esau. So which would mean that Jacob and Esau would have been 15 years old when Abraham died. So Abraham lived a good long life even to see his grandchildren from Isaac. Now notice it also says Abraham died Full of years. What does that mean? Full of years. It's talking about the, the, the quality of life. Meaning he experienced the, the fullness of life. In other words, he lived a satisfied and content life. Think of it like this. To be full, to be satisfied, to be content. So he had a full life, or a satisfied life, or a content life. And so what we need to understand here is that, you know, Abraham didn't die full and satisfied. He didn't die this way because he had a long life. Nor because he had enormous amounts of riches. In fact, those riches he wouldn't be able to take with him after his death. No, he died full and satisfied because of his relationship with the Lord. Because of his faith in the Lord. And because he was so satisfied in the Lord, he was satisfied, he had that fullness of life. You see, Abraham, even though he had many trials and failures and pain in his life, he was one who truly take, who had tasted and seen that the Lord is good. 
He had experienced so much of the goodness of God. Through the ups and downs of life, he had seen the gracious hand of the Lord and how the Lord has always been faithful to him, even when he was not. And so what you see here is, he didn't grow up to be a grumpy old man, bitter at life and bitter towards everyone, making it even difficult for others to be around. No, there's no bitterness here for Abraham. Despite all the hurts and the difficulties he went through, there's no regrets for him. No, he's fully content and satisfied with all that the Lord has dealt with him in his life because he really knows this God and his character and he's satisfied in the Lord. You know, a few years ago, when I was with one of my previous pastors. You know, I remember when I was with him, somebody asked him, do you have any regrets in life? And so my, my previous pastor, he, th- he thought for a moment, and then he said, no, I don't have any regrets because God is too gracious and too forgiving. You know, I thought that was such a profound answer. See, what my previous pastor was saying is that the reason he has no regrets in his life is not because he has done everything right in his life. No, it's because he sees God as being more forgiving, more gracious with all of his failings. And if God has forgiven him, why would he hold on to things and have regrets about it? It's a much bigger view of God. Much bigger view of God. Seeing God's sovereignty and God's goodness and God's grace in everything. And so Abraham, as he comes to the end of his life, he is fully satisfied with his life because his eyes are fixed on the Lord. His eyes are not fixed on past sin or hurts or difficulties or even death. It's squarely on the Lord. And he knows that the Lord who has been good to him and who has sustained him all his life will not forsake him now as he's finally coming to his death and even beyond the grave. What a testimony, isn't it? What a testimony of God's grace and faithfulness Abraham was even at his death. May God give us the grace like Abraham to to run the race, to run the race and finish the race and keep the faith and bear testimony to our great God even at our death. Now the text says also that Abraham was gathered to his people. Now this doesn't mean that Abraham was buried in his ancestral grave or something. No, that's not the case as we'll see in a moment. In any case, you know, Abraham is not yet buried. At this point, Abraham has only died. So this phrase, to be gathered to his people, 
It's the idea of being gathered with those who have died before. And it's pointing to the fact that Abraham continued to exist even beyond death. As he's gathered to his people from before. You know, in, in fact, Jesus implies that Abraham is still alive and waiting resurrection when he says, in Mark 12, 26 and 27, this is what Jesus says as he's answering the Sadducees. As for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And you are quite wrong. Think of it like this. Let's say you had a pet parrot named Polly. Um, I've tried to keep it as neutral as possible so that, you know, if you had any other particular pets, you wouldn't be, you know, thinking about your pet that passed away. But let's just say you had a pet parrot named Polly. And it died. Now, it wouldn't make sense for you to say, I am the owner of Polly when Polly has died. Polly's gone. is no more. You would rather say, I was the owner of Polly. What you see here is many years after Abraham's death, God is saying, I am the God of Abraham. Not I was, I am the God of Abraham. So he's implying Abraham still lives. He's not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. And that's what Jesus is pointing to as he's telling the Sadducees, no, there is resurrection from the dead. So Abraham was gathered to his people. And in Abraham's case, his people would be the people of faith. People, who, people of faith who had previously died, but are still existing beyond the grave, that he's gathered together with God's people. You know, here as we see Abraham's death, we're confronted again with the reality of death. You know, you, you can be the greatest patriarch that ever lived, the father of the faith too, but everyone will face death one day. All of us sitting in this room, young and old, will die one day unless the Lord returns before that. And it is good to realize the frailty and brevity of life on this earth. The psalmist says in Psalm 39 and verse 4, O Lord, make me know my end, and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. See, the more we realize how fleeting we are, the more we realize we are but a breath here and gone tomorrow, the more we understand how temporal we are, it impacts the way we live and it impacts the things that we will put our energy and focus on. 
you know, we'll stop wasting time fixating on the things of this world. And we'll become more fixed on eternal things. You know, and, and we'll realize even more that each day that the Lord gives to us on this earth then is a precious gift to experience His goodness and His grace and, 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 and to make much of Him. And so here's the thing. As we understand these two twin truths, our life is fleeting. Our life is nothing. And yet as believers, the Lord has given us eternal life to make much of our great Lord and Savior. And that's for our highest good. That is our highest satisfaction. When we live according to His ways and we live to bring glory to Him, we are the most satisfied people on this planet. Not the most discontented people, but the most satisfied people. And once we understand these two twin truths, I'm nothing, He is everything, and I live for Him, and it's not about me, and as I live for Him, there is satisfaction, then we will be able to say with Apostle Paul, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That even at death, as believers, we have assurance that we'll be gathered together with the saints to be with the Lord Jesus. So when we live, it's about making much of Him. When we die, it's greater gain as well, because then we'll be with Him. So Abraham dies fully satisfied and was gathered together with God's people, and now he's buried. Verses 9 and 10. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zoar the Hittite, east of Memre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with Isaac, his wife. It's interesting to see here that the two estranged sons, Isaac and Ishmael, they come together to bury Abraham. You know, with the death of their father, they've, they've set aside everything to come and honor their father and bury him. And I think this may even be pointing to the blessing of Abraham that will one day bring peace on earth. Where all the enmity and the sin and conflict, all of that will be removed and there will be peace. It might even be pointing to that fact. And it says that Abraham is buried in the cave of Machpelah where his dear wife Sarah was buried. If you remember from a couple of chapters ago, this burial place is the only property that Abraham owned in the promised land. And you remember how he paid an exorbitant amount of money to get that small burial plot. And so Abraham's burial in the land, in this small burial plot, is again pointing to his faith that he would one day 
be resurrected and he would one day inherit the land. That's exactly why he's buried in the land in that small burial plot that he owned. Because otherwise he could have been buried anywhere. Just like Sarah too, he insisted that she be buried in the land. And it would also serve as a reminder to Abraham's descendants of God's faithfulness. Here's a small piece of land. It's just the first installment, but the rest of it is coming sometime in the future. Now there's a postscript here after Abraham's death to tell us whom God is, through whom God is going to continue his redemptive plan. Verse 11. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac his son. And Isaac settled at Beer Lahai Roy. It says God blessed Isaac after the death of Abraham. So if you think about it, all this time, Isaac is under Abraham. And so Isaac partook of the Abrahamic blessing, many of it via Abraham, so to speak. But now that Abraham is dead, he's moved away from the scene. Isaac now receives God's blessing in his own right. And what this means is that the covenant blessing, the covenant promises of God, it didn't die with this great patriarch dying. No, now it's continuing on with the next generation. It's continuing on with Isaac. Those blessings are going to continue on through Isaac so that he can be now a blessing to the nations. God will be faithful to his promise to bring about his redemptive plan and this plan will now continue on with Isaac. Now the text says, Isaac settled at Beer Lahai Roy. Remember what that place was or where that place was? That was a place where the Lord met with Hagar the first time. When she had ran away from Abraham's house. And the Lord came to her and encouraged her and took care of her. And promised her that she would have a son named Ishmael. Now in that same place, Isaac is settled. And again, it's showing that Isaac is the promised seed who is in the land. But Ishmael is not. And so now, what happens to Ishmael then? That's a good question to ask and that brings us to our last point, Ishmael's sons in verses 12 through 18. These are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's servant, bore to Abraham. So again, the text is just emphasizing and reminding us, Ishmael is not the promised seed, but he's still the son of Abraham. Verses 13 through 16. These are the names of the sons of Ishmael, named in the order of their birth. Nebaioth, the firstborn of Ishmael, and Kedah, Adbil, Mibsam, Mishma, Duma, Massa, Hadad, Tima, 
Jetur, Nafish, and Kedema. These are the sons of Ishmael, and these are their names by their villages and by their encampments, twelve princes according to their tribes. Again, God had said in Genesis 17:20, As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. And he shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. And that's exactly what you see here. Ishmael had 12 sons who would become 12 tribes and he's becoming a great nation. And really many of the Arab nations then will come from this line of Ishmael. And even though Ishmael is not the promised seed, what you see here again is God is faithful to keep his promise even regarding Ishmael. And then on a bigger scale, he's also fulfilling that promise that Abraham will be a father of many nations. And that's also taking place here. Now verse 17 and 18 tells us about the death of Ishmael and where he and his people settle. It says, these are the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years. He breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. They settled from Havilah to Shur, which is opposite Egypt in the direction of Assyria, and he settled over against all his kinsmen. So Ishmael and his people, they've settled outside the promised land. And the last phrase, he settled over against all his kinsmen. It's really, again, what God had said. Again, if you turn back to Genesis 16, 12, you know, God had said that Ishmael would be a wild donkey of a man. That his hand would be against everyone. He would be fighting against everyone and everyone would be against him. And that's exactly what is being said there. That even though he settled in that place, he was against all of his kinsmen. You know, there was always fighting going on. And so what we can gather from that is, Ishmael didn't die as an old man, full of years, satisfied like Abraham did. No, he, he would have lived a miserable life, perhaps a bitter life, and then he died, rejecting God. And then it says, he breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. And here when it says he was gathered to his people, again, it's pointing to existence beyond the dead. And while Abraham died in faith and so he was gathered to his people, that is the people of faith, the people of God, Ishmael did not die in faith. He rejected God and so he was gathered to his people the people who rejected God. You know, one of the things, this section, about Ishmael's sons, it would have reminded the Israelites, you know, as they're listening to this, that if God is faithful to keep his promises to the non-elect line, then how much more God will be faithful to keep his 
greater promises to the elect line of Isaac. And so for us too as believers, you know, we can take much comfort. How much more greater will God be faithful to fulfill all his promises to us as his children? If to the non-elect line he has been this faithful, how much more faithful he will be to his children? So what this passage is showing is this. While there's blessing to Abraham's other sons, and God is faithful in that, God's covenant promises are now going to pass through just one seed, that is Isaac, with the death of Abraham. And God will be faithful to continue his plan and promises. Now here's the wonderful thing. You might be thinking, okay, wow, all those nations, they've, you know, sons of Keturah, they were sent to the east, uh, to the land of the east, it says. God promised that he would bring blessing to the nations. And many years later, this is what the prophet Isaiah would say in Isaiah 60, verses 6 and 7. It says, a multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah. Who are they? Sons of Keturah. So that caravan type thing. And all those from Sheba, all coming from that line. What shall they bring? They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. And then verse 7 says, All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered to you, and the rams of Nebaioth shall minister to you. Those are the two older sons of Ishmael. They shall come up with acceptance on my altar, and I will beautify my beautiful house. This is talking about a time when the Messiah will come back and this will happen. And then as you keep turning the pages of Scripture, you come to the New Testament. You come to Matthew chapter 2. And this long-awaited Messiah, the Lord Jesus, is born. And you know who the first people are who come to visit him? People from the East. Wise men from the East. Coming with incense and gold before the Messiah. So that's just pointing to a partial fulfillment, but ultimately when the Lord Jesus will return, this will exactly happen where all the nations will come to the Lord Jesus. Every promise given to Abraham, will be fulfilled in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want to ask, for those of you listening today, if there's anyone here who's not a Christian, what is your life? What are you living for? You know, perhaps 
you know, you see the difficulties of this life and the sin of this life and the hurt of this life and the pain of this life and, and the death in this life and, and the losses and, and, and whatever else. And you're trying to somehow still live the best life by yourself. Let me tell you, friend, you will not be able to find that life apart from Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus said, I have come to give life and life in abundance. To give that full life. That life of satisfaction. And he made that possible because Jesus himself, he came down to this world and he died for sinful people like you and me who were lost trying to find our identities and our satisfaction in the things of this world, in the people of this world, and everything else. Where he died in our place, taking the punishment for our sins, and God judged him on that cross. And then he died and then he rose again, providing a way by which sin can be forgiven and death can be overcome, and where people can be gathered to him along with his people. Friend, if you're here this morning, I would plead with you to consider these words. To think deeply about these things. Because what you're listening to is not just some pep talk for the week. These are the words of God. And it has eternal significance. has significance of where you will end up beyond the grave. I would ask you to turn to Christ and, and see what he has done. And if you, if you see him for what he's done and you say, yes, I believe, I believe in the Lord and I believe in what he has done on the cross for my sins, where he died paying the price, paying the penalty for my sins, then I would say then turn away from your sin and continue to follow Jesus because that is the evidence that you have fully put your trust and faith in him. For those of us who are believers, let me just say this. You know, the, the, the big thing in this chapter is the death of this great man, Abraham. I mean, he's been mightily used and he becomes the poster child for justification by faith in the New Testament. A man who is greatly used, a man who, who brings blessing to so many people around, a man that we're still talking about even to this day. And yet, this man died. And you know what? God's plan and purposes did not stop with Abraham. It still continued. And it's going to continue with Isaac. And as we get into the life of Isaac, there's not much about the life of Isaac. In fact, Isaac will be eclipsed on two sides, one by his father Abraham and then by his son Jacob. That's most of the story. There's very little about Isaac. You could even say Isaac was vanilla. You know, he, you know, he trusted the Lord, but fairly ordinary. He was 
He was certainly a sinful man, but dependent on the Lord. And the Lord used him. He was certainly the promised seed. But again, Isaac will also die. But you know what? God's purposes and plans still keep moving forward. And so it's a wonderful thing to know that God's plans and purposes will continue to move on and he will use great men and women and just ordinary men and women. He will use all of them to continue his purposes. Abraham was not great because he was a great man in itself. It's the grace of God that was evident in his life and that made him do the things that he did. And so that should be a great comfort to us that while God's plans and purposes are not dependent on us, that he would give us the privilege to be invited to fellowship with him, to walk side by side with him, to be bound to Jesus Christ, and be given this privilege in this fleeting life to make much of him so that we can say, Lord, you have been faithful and we can live with life abundant and a life satisfied in him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the fact that you have numbered our days and yet you have given us the privilege as your children to make much of you, to sing of your glories, to sing of your faithfulness and to represent you on this earth. Lord, would you help us to make much of you, to make much of Christ, even as John said, may Christ increase and I decrease. And we pray that ultimately you would get all the glory for it. And we ask all these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. Amen.